Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Man, I was hoping to avoid this. Not with me producing for it. <laughs> um, I have not seen the Star Wars movies. I saw the first one. Um, it was all right. And then I tried to watch the rest of them on a flight to France, and it put me right to sleep. That's heartbreaking. Is that horrible? I've never seen an episode of Star Trek. Um, just not my thing. But may the 4th be with you, May Julia. the 4th be with you. <laughs> the most ridiculous day in American history. May the 4th. I wonder how many Star Wars fans I made angry. It's only worth a billion dollars, or billions of dollars. I'm, I know I'm in the minority here. I'm just, I'm not a sci-fi person. It's not my thing. I know Darth Vader, um, Obi Wan, um, what was Harrison Ford? Han Solo. Han Solo. Okay, I know those main characters: C three PO, R two D two, Luke Skywalker. Yeah, okay. That's well, and got then the main Princess cast. Leia. 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 Whatever. I just know she had those, uh, those um, what were they called? The, the buns, hair. The, the buns on hair. her. She had those yeah. croissants on her head um, in the movie. <laughs> All right. Anyway, happy happy May 4th to you Star Wars fans out there. I hope I didn't insult you too much. Um, the jobless claims have jumped nearly to an 18-month high. The slowdown in the economy is beginning. The It has been a very tough dealing with inflation. But how are the interest rates increased? They just did another rate increase. How is this going to affect people? We'll get to the jobless numbers in a moment. But this is Rebecca Jarvis from ABC talking about interest rates. Interest rates are now above 5% for the first time in 15 years. The most immediate impact you'll probably see in the next few billing cycles is your credit card agency. APY going up. The average today is about 24%. That is already a record high. So that that is where it gets difficult for the average family that has been using credit cards to get themselves by. You're now paying more in interest, going to take you longer to pay it off. It's becoming more and more expensive for people that have had to dip into their credit cards. And, you know, for small businesses, their lines of credit, that's going to also happen. How much does this and how much is inflation costing Americans is a great question. A possible banking crisis is among the Fed's many considerations, but the central bank still sees inflation as its biggest concern, that inflation costing the average family about $300 more every month on the same goods and services as last year. So the Fed is now hiking rates again by a quarter point yesterday. That is the 10th consecutive increase over the last year. The difficulty, obviously, is when you're spending that kind of money, if the average family is spending about 300 a lot of people are spending more than that. And and I, as working families, how difficult is it for you? Because if you think about an extra $300 a month, were you saving $300 a month that you're not saving now? Or are you trying to figure out where you're going to come up with it? That is a big issue for people. You've got credit card debt on the increase. People are upside down in their automobile loans. They're behind on some of these now and for their car loans. What's going to happen next to that industry? This is part of what the issues that are created when you try to fix the economy. There will be people that are financially weak, that are in a, in a precarious position financially. This is going to push them over the edge. And that where, that's where this is difficult. Families that are keeping their heads above water, it becomes more and more difficult. And eventually people are going to drown. And that's what's so sad about this is because it affects those working class people first and it affects them the longest. 
Um, how will these rate hikes impact your credit cards? If you have a balance on your credit card every month, you are going to be paying more. So rates on credit cards were already at a record high before yesterday's Fed meeting. So now the average rate on a credit card is going to be about 20 and a half percent. So you should see that change happen in the next one or two billing cycles. Of course, if you pay off your credit card balance at the end of each month, you don't need to worry about higher rates. And you should know that if you're perceived as a, a riskier borrower, rates on credit cards for you could go up even higher. And that's that again, that is where people learn their lesson at times. And hopefully they're learning their lessons. Uh, it's part of the growing process for many people. I've got myself in trouble with credit cards when I was younger. Um, and so you have to learn over time when you become a good credit risk. And it's one of the questions is about the mortgage thing that they're doing with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and how unfair it is for the people out there that have made that mistake. For someone that has seen themselves to be a bad credit risk, to have lower credit scores, and to stretch yourself um, and over, I would say even, um, you know, put yourself outside of your financial means using credit cards, it's a very hard lesson to learn. And the price that you've paid in the past is it costs you more to borrow money. You're not a good credit risk, so less people will loan you money. Credit card limits are pushed down because you're a bad risk. All of these things happen to you. But then when you uh, when you pay off your credit cards, when you pay your bills early, when you get yourself in a position where you're living within your means, whatever that is. And there are plenty of people that make tons of money that live outside of their means. It's not it's not limited to people of lower income. But when you live within your means and you're a good credit risk and I know people that make small amounts of money, but they don't have car loans, they don't have credit card debt, they don't have and their credit scores are through the roof because they pay their bills on time. If they use a credit card, they pay it off. They don't have car loans. Their debt to income ratio is low. And people that put themselves in that position, businesses that put themselves in that position, find themselves later on saying this is a much better place to be. It's hard work. It takes discipline, but I've achieved it. So now Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have got these new rules in place for borrowers that people with better credit scores, people that have saved capital or saved cash and put down higher down payments, you will pay more so that people that are riskier can secure loans. That's not good for the economy. It's not fair to people. And that word fair is obviously one that's overplayed because life is not fair. But if you think about this, what are we encouraging? We are encouraging bad behavior and we're punishing good behavior. We're punishing success again. We are telling successful people, well, yeah, sure, you did it, but you now you may have done it on your own, but we're going to help the other people do it. Achievement should not be easy. It should be attainable, but it shouldn't be easy. What good is an accomplishment that's not an accomplishment? I've lived in both worlds. I'm not a silver spoon kid. For anybody new to the show, my history is of poverty. My history, I grew up in a very poor situation. I've been working class my entire life. My first job at 12 years old, I've been working full time since I was 15 years old. I, I did not have an easy life. I am not speaking about poverty or speaking about struggles from a position of not knowing. I've lived them. And I want to help other people. But to say that because my credit score is good and I am a good credit risk and I am someone, if I want to borrow money, it's available to me. If I want to get a mortgage, I'm a good risk for a mortgage that I have to pay more so that somebody that hasn't gone through 
and hasn't fixed their issues yet has an easier path, that doesn't seem right. It sends the wrong message, it's unfair, and it's it's a policy that should be changed immediately. Immediately. Um, Arizona legislators have passed a bill that would hide their addresses from the public. A, will the governor sign it? And B, is this a good idea? We'll talk about it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, we still have the hottest ticket in town available. We have got Suns playoff tickets against the Denver Nuggets. If you'd like to get registered, we want to hear your name called. You call in and you are registered to win these tickets to get your name in the list. Just text the word TICKET to 411-923. That's TICKET to 411-923. By the way, we'll be calling out a name in the 11 o'clock hour, so make sure you're listening for yours. Um, This is an interesting piece of legislation. The uh, police officers, judges, and other insensitive positions are allowed to strike their names and addresses from public records. Statewide office holders, members of the legislature, and election officials in Arizona may soon be able to do that as well. That's the first part of a story, Daisy Central. Senate Bill 1061 helped protect their safety by making it tougher for members of the public to find their homes for any reason. Um, I don't think this is a bad idea. Uh, my brother and his wife are both police officers, uh, sheriffs, deputies to be uh, um, correct, and they've been cops for over 20 years, and their names and addresses are are not available to the public. As a matter of fact, on their driver's licenses, it shows their address as the address of the sheriff's office, and it's a way to protect them because you know they're dealing with the public and they're dealing with criminals a lot, and they don't want it to be easy for people to find them or their families. Will the governor sign this? Is this um, is this something that is a good idea? Senator T.J. Shope of Coolidge credits his wife for asking him to sponsor the bill. Uh, so we had we had our home protested, and others have had similar situations. Adding similar protests occurred at homes before. Current Speaker Rusty Bowers. Um, <clears throat> uh, former and current House speakers Rusty Bowers and Ben Toma, as well as our governor. Governor Hobbs. And there are some people that don't mind uh, having their uh, addresses made available. It still is fairly easy to find people. But look at what's happened here. Governor Hobbs has been threatened when she was the Secretary of State. Um, Clint Hickman from the County Board of Supervisors had over 100 people protesting outside his home. His life was threatened. There was a guy that just pleaded guilty for threatening his life from another state, leaving horrible phone messages, threatening to kill him, uh, also threatening to kill the former attorney general, uh, Mark Burnovich. So we understand that there is an element to some of these jobs where it's, it should be harder to find people. And I don't think that that's uh, unreasonable. I really don't think it's unreasonable at all. This should be something I think the governor, after what she's been through, would be pretty easy for her to sign into law. That anything we can do to make a public figure's life easier, safer, I would say, is the right thing. Um, My problem is we have too much of the extreme behavior being condoned in our society. And what I mean by that is if you are someone that is a member of whatever a belief 
and someone of that same belief system or, or belief in that one issue does something that is horrible, we don't have enough of those people standing up and saying that's wrong. So in the case of Clint Hickman, um, Clint Hickman uh, was uh, county board of supervisors. We know about election integrity and certifying the election in Maricopa County and the accusations of a stolen election. There are a lot of people out there that believe that the election in Maricopa County was stolen in 2020 and in 2022. Would never ask anybody to change their beliefs. I don't subscribe to that. Um, I can respect you even in spite of you believing it. I, I have no issue with people that believe that the election was stolen. But you should be the ones that are the most adamant ones that speak out when someone of your belief that the election was stolen starts making death threats when people start behaving in a way that makes you look bad because you know what happens everybody connected to it is made out to be just as bad they will say you are you're an election denier so you're getting equated with people that do things like that, which is why you have to speak out against it. When I spoke out against what happened on January 6th, it was because I thought it was my responsibility because I voted for Donald Trump twice. I was a supporter of Donald Trump and his policies, um, and uh, I talked a lot often about what was going on. So when there were people that were supporting the president that I supported and vocally supported on this show, it was important to me to make sure you knew that I was not condoning that behavior. I didn't condone what they were doing. When somebody, and I am adamantly pro-life, when someone pro-life commits an act of, act of violence or vandalism against a someone that is pro-choice or a clinic, I condemn it because I think it's contrary to what my belief system is and what we believe in peaceful protest. But the other side of that is true. If you are someone that is pro-choice and we now have seen people that are pro-life are having you know, their buildings threatened and their lives threatened and we uh, – you should be speaking out against that. When people that were pro-choice and other people were going to the homes of Supreme Court justices and behaving in a way that was threatening, you should be speaking out against that. We should be speaking out because we are on that side. Your words are a lot more powerful. If I'm a critic of something, it's easier for me to criticize them, but it doesn't carry as much weight. We have got to keep saying, you know, it's not right and left, it's right and wrong. And that's part of what the issue is. We've got to differentiate between right and wrong and be willing to stand up and say, I'm not compromising my beliefs, but that behavior was wrong. What we're going to do in a moment is um, it's the National Day of Prayer. First Thursday in May as set aside, signed by Ronald Reagan. It is the National Day of Prayer. There was a conversation about the constitutionality of the National Day of Prayer. But I have a friend who is a pastor and is a brilliant guy. He's uh, got his Ph.D. in theology, and he's been a guest on this show a number of times. His name is Rob Williams, and he's going to join me. We're going to talk about the National Day of Prayer just for a moment, what it means to so many people and its value, if it does have value. What is the value? We'll talk about it next. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. 
thanks for being here. Had a conversation earlier today. It was a fascinating conversation about prayer um, and, and where we've come and you know what the intent of the founding fathers were. The First Amendment protects your right to express yourself uh, freely, that you can uh, practice your religious beliefs without infringement by the federal government. All, it also stipulates that the federal government cannot uh, endorse one religion over another. And if you go back and look, the founding fathers lived under the rule for a long time where they were told what Bible to read from and what to believe and how to believe it. And they made very clear that that's not how our country would, would be. Although from our inception, we have always acknowledged a creator. If you look at our founding documents, we give credit to the creator. And so we are a theistic nation. There are three kinds of nations. There are theistic nations like ours that um, recognize a creator. There are atheistic nations or dark countries like Russia and China that do not. And there are theocracies. And Iran is the one that comes to mind for people where the Ayatollahs are the supreme leaders of those nations. They rule by a religious book, one specific religious book. And we are not that. But a set aside, and it was finally put into law, I believe in 1988 by Ronald Reagan, it was signed into law, set aside the first Thursday of May as the National Day of Prayer. And then the conversation happened about how how we pray, what we pray for, should we be praying for our country, and if this was in fact something that is more of a, a bookmark as opposed to an actual motive for the people. Joining me now is a pastor that I've been friends with for years, Rob Williams. Rob, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, Broomhead. How are you today? I'm doing good. I'm doing well. I wanted to get your input Man, I on I love this. that you're doing this. Yeah. It's a great, uh, that's a great segment. Nice, nice work. It, it's a great conversation, I think, because there are many people that would say I'm not religious, but I am someone that I have a faith. I'm a believer in some, you know, in something. They're a believer in a creator. What do you think this actually means in our country? Has it changed the meaning of this? Has changed over the years? Yeah, you know, um, you know, Mike, I wonder if, you know, with those you mentioned that are actually against this day and uh, setting aside a day of prayer, and I'm kind of not blaming them. It seems like very often prayer has been used as a weapon. Yeah. So we would we would speak, come together with this spirit of whatever in order to condemn those that aren't like us. And of course, a response to that would be, that's gross. Why, you shouldn't be like, who are you? Where I'm looking even at the statement by the president, that he's got a couple great lines in this um, on his statement of what today is. And if we would only keep to some of what he said, which is we're just asking in a state of humility, Independence. We're asking for continued guidance, mercy, and protection. Uh, pretty, pretty simple and pretty beautiful. If we all had that same kind of spirit, wouldn't it? Yeah, and it's interesting you say that about how it's used as a weapon because you know as well, probably better than most, that in, in, in Christian circles, one of the best ways you can point out someone's shortcomings is to say, well, "We're going to pray for that person." <laughs> yeah, I love that. And and let's and let's uh let's spread the uh the uh the joy of that to every other religious group in the world. It with it comes a a sense of pride and power very often and then instantly it's weaponized. So religion has been used and some pretty horrible things to justify things we say and do. But that's not what today is. 
today is a great call for individual me to humble myself and pray to seek God's face, to turn from wicked ways, knowing that he will heal us and heal me. It, it comes down to me and not praying it that you need it. I'm praying it that I need it. Do you think that that message still resonates with people in your in your in your um, capacity as a pastor when it's when it's personalized like that? When people hear that this is meant for you, let the other person clean up their backyard, but focus for a minute on cleaning up yours. Does that message still resonate? Yeah, you know, I don't know, Mike. I I would think it does because because um, we're not hearing it enough. I'm, I'm not in control of what happens in Washington, and I'm not even in control of what happens in downtown Phoenix and local. I can't even control my own HOA. I need this tree trimmed in my, okay, different subject. Right. But I can't get them to trim it. But I can control today, and that's where the freedom is. I can control myself. I can humble myself today. And display this authentic humility before my creator and it's going to immediately affect those people around me and that's where i think the um the connection needs to be made we're all feeling hopeless and helpless and that's very frustrating but the good news is driving in the car today sitting in the office i'm sitting at the kitchen table i have the freedom and the ability to humble myself and um, in a spirit of brokenness before God and say, I need your guidance, I need your mercy, and I need your protection because I can't, I can't provide it for myself and my family. How much responsibility do you think the church, and I'm not talking just about the Christian church, but the, the churches, the, the faiths, the leaders of the churches around our country, how much responsibility is there in that not showing that sense of humility and leading by example in that sense of humility? Yeah, it seems like so much of the, the debate and the argument that we're hearing from pulpits and lectrums across and microphones um, are on the external things that are important, but they're not going to change things. More gun laws, more gun laws enforced. I'm sure it's going to save some lives, but we're not solving the problem. We have a problem today that America's never faced before. Well, it's not, laws aren't going to solve the problem. Laws are a great idea to try to curb some of it. The problem is internal. It's inside of us, inside of all of us. We're living in a lack of humility and brokenness, and we are not having the guidance of a creator. And you know me as a Christian pastor, I believe universally that it's faith in Jesus Christ. He died as a sacrifice, and my humility and belief and trust in him gives me that relationship with God. But whether it's in promoted as Jesus or somebody else, the spirit is the same. The spirit part, humility. Talk to people in a spirit of humility and brokenness that comes out of our time of prayer or meditation. Uh, I got to tell you, I, I always I love talking to you anyway, but having you on the show, I, I knew that we'd be able to get some some something a little deeper in this conversation. I appreciate you coming on today and talking about this, and I hope people will take this day a little bit more seriously. 
Man, it's great of your station. I mean, I love KTAR. I'm on their uh, their app all the time. So I love what you guys are doing. The fact that you're taking some time on this just to produce more dialogue is fantastic. And let me add real quick, Mike, if it means somebody in their car right now ends up just kind of bowing their heart and in a humility before God in brokenness and looking for guidance and mercy and protection, then this segment's been a great move on your part. So thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. That's uh, that's Pastor Rob Williams. Um, just he's been a mentor to me for years. And so it was good to talk with him. It's just a little reminder. Today is the National Day of Prayer. We set aside Memorial Day to honor the fallen in our country. It's something we should think about every day. But this is the one day set aside. So um, just give you food for thought, something to think about. Coming up in a moment, um, do the voters in America fairly represent the American people? Wait until you hear the statistics. We'll talk about it in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I, I've been talking about this for quite a while. It is my, it has been my firm belief. It still is, and it's being reinforced by this Washington Post story. It is my belief that we are not going to change the direction of our country until we change the electorate. And what I mean by that is expand the number of people that are voting. The reason why we continue to see the low poll numbers for the members of Congress, but the high reelection rate is because the same people are voting for the same people over and over again. That doesn't mean there aren't good people. There are people in the Congress that I respect immensely. Um, I've never really been in favor of term limits because I think it makes voters lazy. And if you have someone that's exceptionally good, they're limited on how long they can serve. We have term limits. Every two years, you can replace everybody in the House of Representatives. Every two years, you're replacing one-third of the Senate. Every four years, we can replace the uh, President of the United States. But this is a story that says new data shows how little the electorate looks like the population. That's pretty amazing headline. Um, Washington Post Scott Clement and Lenny Bronner this week looked at new data from the Census Bureau tracking voter participation in the midterms. After adjusting the data and matched state-level turnout, they discovered the turnout rates among black voters declined heavily since the 2018 election. And it talks about the electorate and population. About 74, 74% of the electorate was white compared with 59% of the population. About 41% of the electorate was 60 or older compared with 30% of the adult population. Meaning, if you're not voting, you don't count to the elected officials. Is it a fair representation? I talk about the party leadership fight that goes on in the state of Arizona that I've been closely connected to. And it it is my belief that party leadership is disconnected with party voters. There's a big difference. Just because you're a registered Republican, you are not a member of the Republican Party. Um, Republican Party leadership sets the platform. There is a movement there has been, and I don't know if it's continuing, but there are those in Arizona that believe in the party that believe the party should choose the candidate and not you as a voter in the primary, that they should tell you what your choice is in the races. So what do we do to get more people involved in the process? Because I think that's what's going to save us. Everybody I know is opinionated. I don't and it's weird. I don't ask people, do they vote? 
I don't know why I don't ask, but I don't ask very often. I want people's opinions. I love the conversation, especially if we disagree partially or completely on an issue. It makes for a better conversation if it's respectful in our disagreement and talking about why we disagree. It's, it's, a, it's one of my favorite things to do. Because I don't have to defend whether or not I'm a good person with you. We already have a rapport and a respect. So we can debate an issue and not attack each other's character. I love that. But how do we take people that are very opinionated, that are knowledgeable on issues, that have a concern and a vested interest, cross the line, register to vote, and start making their voices heard, believing that if enough of them do it, we can make some changes? I know a lot of people out there that are truly independent-minded. On issues, they would agree with me and many of them, and so you would say, well, that's a very conservative way to think. But when it comes time to pull the lever, they're not looking at something somebody that's registered as an are. They're looking for someone that they believe is most likely to do what's right. Where are those people? I think the Republican Party and the Democratic Party are missing out because they are not out there actively seeking more people to come into their tent. What they are doing, and they're both guilty of this, is they are giving an ideological litmus test to people. And if you pass the test, you're welcome. And if you don't pass the test in their minds. You're not really one of those. You are a rhino if you're a Republican, a Republican in name only. Therefore, we don't want you. As a matter of fact, you're worse than the opposition in the Democratic Party because you claim to be one of us, but you're really a traitor. And that sentiment exists in far too many people within the Republican Party. And I know it's exactly the same for the Democrats. They are missing the boat when it comes to attracting voters. So how how do we do this? How do I get someone? How do I vocalize to people that you need to be a part of the solution? Even if you disagree with me, even if you don't vote for the people that I want you to vote for, how do we get those people that are not involved to reengage? Because that's where the changes are going to happen. That's when we start seeing real changes. When the people that are entrenched don't feel as safe in their jobs anymore. I think that's the way we should be heading. Uh, coming up, right, just after 11 o'clock, we are going to talk about the border and the issues that are being faced at the northern and southern borders. It happens next.